nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic. I will be your host, as I usually am, for the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. I am, for those of you who don't know me, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions. And Financing Solutions is the number one provider in the United States of lines of credit to small nonprofits. It's a very popular product. We've been doing it for 12 years. Um, you know, nonprofits have lots of up and downs and cash flow. You, if you think you're unique to that, you're not. It's very common. And we help bridge that gap with the line of credit product that we offer. Um, it's a great product. And if you're interested in learning more, please go to our website, which is nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor for today's podcast. It's a raise fast fund online. It's accounting software that's specifically made for small to medium sized nonprofits. It's really a great product. Um, and uh, if you're interested in learning more about their product, uh, you know, if you're using QuickBooks, probably this is a better product for you. It is a better product for you to look for or look at. If you want to please visit their website at arrays.com, it's A-R-A-I-Z-E.com, or call Joe at 866-840-7449 and tell him Steve sent you. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Kathy Hadizada uh, from Heart Mind Tuning. And um, you know, Kathy is a former tech executive and founder of Heart Mind Tuning agency. She empowers senior leaders and executives to elevate their decision-making and foster a human-centered leadership. Her pause to rise method helps executives exemplify their executive presence. And so Kathy, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so today's topic, uh, you know, is going to be about leadership and you know, really empowering nonprofit leaders to thrive and inspire is really the you know the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Through through your coaching sessions and, and you know the people that you've met in nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. what is the leadership skill that you often see that they lack the most? I have to say what I see, not profit-driven and non-profit, both of them, the skill that most people lack is their self-awareness. Yeah. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on that because people think of self-awareness mostly in terms of internal self-awareness. Knowing how they come across is not something that they focus on, which is the external self-awareness. And that is a very critical piece, especially for nonprofits that a lot of them are relying on the board of directors and keeping the board of directors happy because they are the people who keep the lights on for these kind of entities. Do um, is uh, So you said uh, people know, what was the word you used for people knowing themselves? Self-awareness. Self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So is self-awareness the same thing as EQ, emotional intelligence? Uh, yeah, let's, 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 let's talk about that. Let's bring it up because emotional intelligence is a topic that probably all of your listeners have heard about it. Um, emotional intelligence is the umbrella 
So self-awareness is one of the components inside that umbrella. Uh, in When we talk about emotional intelligence, there is self-awareness, there is self-management, there is self-regulation, there is social intelligence. It is a wider umbrella. When we are talking about self-awareness, I'm kind of limiting the boundaries in here with regards to two factors, the internal self-awareness, understanding what makes me happy, what makes me triggered, what makes me react in a way that I will be ashamed of it later. That's the internal self-awareness. And then the external self-awareness, which is how do people perceive me? How do I come across? Do I come across as an abrasive leader? Do I come across as a human-centered leader? Those kind of understandings. So what I focused on in a lot of times with the leaders as maybe the first and most important step in our coaching and advisory even is to understand yourself and understand how you come across to the other people that you are in touch with them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when I, um, you know, I've built several companies and I, and, you know, I started my first company when I was 30 and I'm 58 wow. now. And wow. the, uh, you know, the difference I, I noticed as I really worked hard to improve my leadership mm-hmm. skills and my management skills, which are really two different things. Um, it started with self-aware, becoming self-aware. And I started that through tests. Like I took personality assess. I read this book called now discover your strengths. And there was a test in there. Um, you know, I had belonged to a group of, of business owners and we were constantly actively learning about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it, it does seem that this, the, uh, the ability to develop your leadership skills starts with understanding yourself. Is, is that true? Absolutely. I always tell people, you are a human before you are a leader. And your leadership is not separate from who you are as a person. Like somebody cannot have a kind heart and all of a sudden be an empathetic and compassionate leader when they are leading people. That would be almost impossible because those are the qualities that you need to have nurtured within yourself. And that doesn't matter if you are in the office or if you are you are with family. Kindness will come across. People will feel it. It's not a button that you have to push and you're like, okay, today I'm going to be the kind person and tomorrow I'm going to be whatever your audience want to call that. I leave it to the imagination. Uh, So you see, there is something in here that we need to pay attention to, that there is no magical button. These are qualities of a human being we are talking about. And these qualities, we need to understand which one of them we have, which one of them we don't have, and which one of them we want to have. I want to give an example in here because I think that's a very interesting thing. If you look at Steve Jobs, and he's been a very successful person in the world in terms of innovation, he had some qualities that they were developed because of his understanding of himself and what matters to him. And that's a very important thing. However, how he was perceived by people, there are a lot of different ideas around it. There are people who worship him and his philosophy and his leadership. And there are people even within that organization that might think differently about his leadership style. 
So we need to understand ourselves. We need to understand how we want to come across and we need to kind of look at that delta and see how we want to build that delta or what kind of changes we want to make. Even if you are too empathetic, sometimes it might not be the best interest of our leadership. We have to look at it and see how do I tweak that? So that's why there are people who are empaths that might be suffering in their leadership. There is a lot of nuances in here. Yeah, well, you know, Steve Jobs, I, I, he was not the type of leader I would ever want to be. He, he, people hated him, and he was a miserable person. He might have been incredible at, um, at moving a product and, and being so determined about it. But, you know, I've read a lot about Steve Jobs. I've read his biography. I've watched things on it. And he was a miserable person. He talked. The way he talked down to people is was disgraceful, and um, and I think it is a good example of if you ever study, you know, great leaders and poor leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is an example, in my opinion, of of a very very poor uh, manager and a very poor leader. A visionary—that's a different story, you know, but. Um, and I do think, do you think that it's important to study other people to determine your leadership style? I think we need to look at other people's leadership style to decide what kind of a leader we want to be and what kind of a legacy we want to leave. That is the importance of studying other people. However, we have to understand we are a byproduct of years and years of experience and learning and family dynamics and all, all kinds of dynamics that has been installed in us. So the journey will be very, very different for each person. That's where coaching comes in because I love how you are allowed to think and examine and play with, okay, I'm thinking I want to be this, but what is hindering me from becoming this because that becoming can be a journey now we have to understand when we study other leaders there is really nothing that would be ever 100 percent ever that we yeah. would say oh yeah this this is the one i want to be even the leaders who have a lot of respect you talked about steve jobs the managerial aspect is one piece but the man has installed great culture in some ways in a company that has 150k people working for it the culture of the culture that was started with the plato time plutus time that how we can debate and come to a conclusion so he has built that culture within such an organization that we need to be able to talk and come to a consensus I think a lot of organizations even fail at the basic of coming to a consensus through the through the dialogue, whereas that he has built a, a company based on that culture. So if you are thinking this is the kind of thing I want to build, that is worth studying. We have to really be very meticulous because you and I both know our time in this world very limit is very limited. So we have to really see what is it that is resonating with us and not go so far based on what is the popular opinion of 
people outside because that popular opinion might not be the way we want to lead in this world. For example, for me, I don't know if you had Frida Kahlo, I loved her leadership. I loved the way she came across in the world. Well, there are parts of her that I like. There are parts of her that is not in, in line with me. So I have to make a choice about what are the kind of people like Frida that has been influential in my life and decide which parts do I want to keep, which parts hmm, not for me. But those people are a few. I have studied a lot of people in the world, but it doesn't mean that I want to go and really go honing in their leadership. The people who have influenced me, Gandhi, Frida, there are certain people that have been interesting throughout my life that have impacted me. So I encourage people to look into who really has impacted their heart, not just so their mind. Because that, those yeah. are people. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, like I was at a parenting conference once and uh, a lecture and the, the the speaker said, what, what kids do is they'll they'll see something that's a behavior and as they get into their teen, teenage years they try it on for size to see if it if they like it and and that's why you have to give children the opportunity to fail because uh, or you know make, screw up you know mm -hmm. because they're trying on these different uh personalities mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know and I'm not saying of course they have their own uh, they're using their own personality but mm -hmm. uh and 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 but I think that leadership is a little bit like that when you're studying and when you're paying attention mm -hmm. to other leaders you're seeing a little bit about you know how Abraham Lincoln did something mm -hmm. or, or how um you know, a, a famous uh, a person that you know is doing something, or maybe you see something on TV, uh, and that, and you can learn things that you like, and you can also learn things that you that you don't like. You could say, yeah. "Oh, I I don't I don't ever want to be like this person," or you know, I like the way this person. Like one of my um, my idols is uh, the Dalai Lama, mm -hmm. and and so you know, I try to mimic his. Um, approach to compassion and, mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, with Steve jobs, I, I, I know not to treat my employees poorly, you know, and that's what I've learned from Steve jobs. Um, so there, there are different types of people, um, that you learn from by studying. Um, uh, and I, you know, after I became much more self-aware of my leadership style, um, I then started to study other other people's leadership styles. Um, Grant, you know, Abraham mm -hmm. Lincoln, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that's very a common approach. Why, um, when you've seen uh, uh, nonprofit lead, well, you know, nonprofit leaders, I do they tend to have a culture that fits a little bit more into a box. Than, in, than a business, uh, you know, because nonprofit mm -hmm. leaders are often trying to help uh, people mm -hmm. or causes, mm -hmm. right? Does that lend themselves to typically being in a certain characteristics of, of their personality? That's an interesting question. I will look into that. But before that, I want to put something on the table here which is you mentioned Dalai Lama and there is something that I can 
mm, I can pinpoint. Dalai Lama, one of the one of the aspects of the work that he brings to us as a leader is understanding of how we can focus on the positivity and build more of the positive intelligence in ourselves. So, yes, we have a choice to look at what works versus what doesn't work. What do I want to be like? What do I, what I don't want to be like? With one of the aspects of cultivating positive intelligence in our brain is focusing on what we want rather than what we don't want. Yeah. So focusing on if, for example, Dalai Lama, if you that's the leader that you admire in your heart, understanding, okay, what are the characteristics of this leader that is landing with me and focusing on that, like focusing more on the positivity. This is a very important piece. That's what I wanted to bring into the people, because our brain is designed by nature to have a negativity bias. So part of leadership journey is how can I lessen this negativity bias in my brain so that I can have those chances for attempting something and if it fails I wouldn't beat myself and I would be like oh it was an attempt it was an attempt it was an experience and look forward into the future so I just wanted to put this side note in there because I have seen how this side note can make really big changes in people who are the pe- even the people who are in the verge of being fired in an organization to be able to redeem themselves to making some changes and focusing on what are the positive things I can bring to the table. Yeah, you're right. You're 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 very I like that approach that you said about a positivity behind it. I you know, I think as I I was I was a terrible manager, horrible. <laughs> and so there was you know, there are three types of people. There are the leaders, they're the they're the managers and then there's the worker bees, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's very hard as a as the leader of a small organization, regardless if it's a nonprofit or for-profit, um, it to because you you often have to be in all three phases at the, at, at different times throughout mm-hmm. the day, and you're kind of constantly constantly multitasking between mm-hmm. being the leader, being the the manager, and being the worker bee. Now, as your organization gets bigger then, you know, you have more worker bees and then, um, and then as you continue to get bigger, then you can hire a manager and then you can focus on the leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I, what, what the, the path that I learned, mm-hmm. uh, that I was, that happened with me was I became better at, um, once I was able to hire a, a staff, per, a chief of staff, Mm-hmm. Um, so to speak, um, I noticed that my my leadership skills got very positive. Mm. Like uh, you know, and I had worked at it. I read a lot. I become more self aware. I knew my trigger points. I knew you know when to, when I needed to walk away because yeah. I was getting angry at something. Um, you know, and that that took a while to really learn. And and what I learned was my natural personality of being positive mm. came out. Yeah. And that was a very attractive to the people who worked for me. And then going back to what you're saying, you're so right about a negativity bias. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One of the things that um, I had worked really hard on was how to really hire and interview people. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, and I can't remember the book that I read, 
But one of the books I had read on it said that for 15 minutes, when you are interviewing somebody, Mm -hmm. don't make any conclusions, don't make any opinions on that person. And then if you can wait for 15 minutes, then you will make a better decision to hire someone or not hire someone. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was a pretty um, good suggestion. And I tried to, I've always tried to implement that. I love that. I mean, I know the question was something else, but since you mentioned that, I want to say how we change and evolve as leaders. I know at one point in my, in my, in my tech career that I was very proud that when I see a resume and when I, um, when I interview the person within the first five minutes, I can make my decision. I was very proud of that back then. Well, I mean, there was a big need and we need to have a lot of people hired and so we could get the project going. But I agree with you. Five minutes, I mean, it's another human being and you are deciding about wanting to hire a person or not. And the culture has changed a lot since the time I'm talking about. I'm talking about, what, 2010, 2012, which is some time ago. And the culture has changed, but that is not a good idea to judge a person that fast. Yeah. I mean, especially so so superficial. You're looking at their clothes. You're looking at uh, uh, their looks. You're looking at maybe how they came into the office. You know, there's a whole bunch of the other things. And, you know, what happens is when something like when you – well, you know, again, let's just stick to the leadership thing. But, you know, I think what we're saying here is leadership is always developing. Yeah. You are always learning. You're always developing. And – um. You know, if you think you're always right, <laughs> uh, you know, then I, yeah, I would tell you that you're, that you need to do some work on yourself. I don't care how old you are and how experienced you are, uh-huh. you know, to think that you are always right says a lot about your leadership sk- style. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that you should think that you're always wrong either, but, um, but there, there is a, uh, what's the right word? A, um, it's not a happy medium, but there is a, uh, when you are, what's the word when you're, when you're willing to be accepting that you don't know it all. Beginner's mind. Is that what you have? Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And there's, there's a number of words in regards to it. Yeah. Yeah. That you are always learning and, and stuff like that. And I think, you know, I think the older you get, the more, I think the more humble you can become too, you, you really learn about what you don't know versus what you know. Um, yeah. I mean, as you've seen, so when you've brought uh, uh, people on to coach them as leaders, yeah. typically what do you see the path that they go on that are, you know, the people who are successful in becoming good leaders, you know, we've already talked about the beginning and that is becoming more self-aware, mm-hmm. right? Then, then where does the path go? Typically, I, I like this question because it kind of is what is the evolution? Yes. Right. And that's an interesting thing because the evolution I see, whether they are in, in coaching with me or they, they are just a higher level leader, is understanding how their people are so important, like their talent and how taking care of the talent and that is very important. And it might be very funny to say that 
that they are all very humble. Like that humbleness always is very fascinating for me because we are talking about people who have, um, some of them, that have really good run good professional run we are talking about people who have been been around in leadership roles for 20 plus years some of them and they are still humble and they are still accepting some of the things that they are challenged with i was talking actually to svp he wasn't my client i was doing a research because i do a lot of research in my agency into leadership and um, I was doing a research and we had a conversation and he's been SVP and 45 years in the tech industry. And it was so unbelievably interesting for me when he said that I have imposter syndrome. It wakes me up at night. And we are talking about a person who has a distributed 45 years. The continents, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he has a distributed tech team. And I was like, what? And he said that, yeah, I still wake up at night and think that they're going to figure out that I'm a fraud. And his way of dealing with it was that he shared with me that his wife would bring him down to regulate those emotions. Like when he would wake up in the morning and all of that, Hmm. look at your track record. You are this person with this track record. That was very fascinating for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so was he a techie? I know he worked in a tech industry, but was he a tech? I can see, uh, and this is a separate note from nonprofits, but maybe, uh, but I can see where a 45 veteran would feel that way in the tech industry because the industry moves so fast, right? That yeah. he kind of felt like he's a dinosaur yeah, and that he's faking the, and I think, you know, listen, I'm getting close to the retirement and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, when you get older, you start to, uh, feel like you're losing touch with, no. you know, the younger generation. Right. And so you fake it, you know, you, you know, you, Oh, I, like I don't use social media that much. And I certainly know what it does and stuff like that. I don't see value in it for me, mm-hmm. but you know, um, I can see where he would have felt imposter syndrome, uh, in that area, do you do you think do you have you found that that's is that abnormal or is that normal? It's very normal. Normal. That's, that's an interesting thing. A lot of men. I mean, I mean, men. I mean, I mean, I'm going by the gender men versus male versus female. I am not going. I agree with you. New word that there could be other things. Um, but. What I have found in my coaching and my in my work, I work with a lot of um, male people versus female people. Even though I am female, but I come from an industry that I worked mostly with male people. It's a male-dominated industry, or it was at that time. And uh, so I have a most of my clients are male rather than female. So I can see it is harder for them to come to the terms and say that in these words. So that was why I was very impressed when I heard this, but I was doing research, as I said, he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it takes some time to get to that point with them. And yeah, so I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I can see why too. I mean, and more so the opposite. And that is like mm. men 
can they, they've seemed to have been able to do fake it till you make it throughout their yeah, career. And whereas the women that I've worked with, and by the way, I think women are better um, employees than men are, but <laughs> it, it, women would never fake it until they make it. In fact, no. just the opposite. They, they never feel like they, uh, like they're capable you know, and mm-hmm. they always feel that they're, you know, that they have to work harder and harder and harder and they have to be yeah. better and better. And, uh, you know, and it, so I don't, I, I don't see that often with, with women and I don't general, I'm not, I, mean, I am generalizing now, but again, I hold my judgment until I get to know people, but, um, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, I can, I can see where that happens. Uh, um, so, so they go through, so maybe they go through, the phases that someone who really cares about improving their le- leadership or management style is mm-hmm. they're going to be, they try to become self more, more self-aware. Mm-hmm. They then maybe read up about more leadership styles or leadership people. Um, then they go to the, uh, the third phase, which was what you just mentioned. What was it again? Uh, Acting around about the perception about them. Yes. Yes, yes. And then they go to that phase. And then it's interesting that, you know, do they then, do you think that they often then get into being more humble or no? Well, it depends. So this is a tricky piece about this development journey. You know, you can go to all these MIT has amazing, MIT has courses, Cornell has courses, um, what's that, Harvard has courses. There is no lack of leadership training and skills and knowledge out there. I mean, amazing courses out there. But the thing is, um, you learn, you learn, you, you gain knowledge. And knowledge is a different p- part of the brain that yeah. knowledge. The thing that is important about leadership and really going up in leadership is wisdom. And wisdom yeah. is not something that is taught. In those no, it's experience. It's it experience and it's understanding mm-hmm. yourself. That's why I always tell people, and because coaching is still relatively new for people. Uh, so that's why, you know, having that space to self-reflect is very important and having access to people who can give you feedback. So I can tell you in my some other research that I was doing, um, uh, we I was thinking I was looking into who are the most self-aware people out of the people that I work with or know, and it was very interesting. The people who were very self-aware, they had built a mechanism that they had people that would give them feedback. And when I researched more, I found that there are some characteristics with these people that give them feedback. First of them, first of all, they had their best interest in heart. So not a frenemy at work, but somebody who has really good intention about their progress in the world and understands what they are trying to do with that feedback. And then they were a real critic. That is key. Like imagine there is a research that says, if there is a situation that people are um, can say a white lie or say nothing, most people choose to say the white lie. Because we have most of us have this tendency to avoid hurting other people, be thinking in our head, 
where would I say that? You could imagine, I don't know how many art exhibitions I have been to, especially with the, the kinds of art that are most abstract and I do not connect with it. And the person comes and asks me, what do you think? And I'm like, oh my, God. I don't say what I really think. I would mm. just say, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like that word interesting is a very... Yeah. It loaded word in my uh, humble opinion that you don't want to say the truth. I wouldn't go and say this is just two brush strokes and on a on a canvas. What does that really mean? How much effort was put into that? Considering the kind of artwork you can see in Louvre or real museums or the, or the art that was that was created by the masters in the past. Um, so I will not say what I really think. Most of us, most of us, we don't do that. So it is very important to find a person who is able to be that critic. Yeah, boy, you are, you hit the nail right on the head, really. And I, I never really thought I had a mentor for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, he, he, he never, um, he, he wasn't, a, he wouldn't be somebody who would have been, um, able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it probably would have helped me. Only, the only thing I would say is I, it had, it would have to been a real skill. Um, I did have a business coach for 10 years. Um, I, and you had to be careful with me because I would have, if someone gave me something that was really, uh, negative, I would have really beat myself up about it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to be brought down because I did enough of that myself. I needed someone to pump me up to tell me yeah. what I was doing right, not what I was doing wrong. My yeah. mentor was incredible at that. He was he would always be good at telling me mm-hmm. the things I was doing right because I'd be going in to see him and I'd be like, oh, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Me, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's look at what you're, this is what you're doing. It's yeah. really good, you know? And um, so I, it does depend on the person, certainly. Um, but, uh, but I think you're right. That would have helped me um, I think, you know, my business coach did it. Um, so, and that's what I think a coach is good for if, if they're really being honest with you about what you're good at and what, you know, you need to improve. Fair enough? There is something in there. Since you said that you like Dalai Lama, I'm going to use that again, which is the art of holding a space. Yeah. The art of holding a space in a way that a person feels comfortable to hear what they can do differently without feeling that negative feeling of, oh my God, I failed, or I'm a failure, or I shouldn't have done that, or I will never get out of this. This This is that subtle art in here, because really in coaching, I always say the most important piece is to have the courage to look into the eye of a CEO or CTO or somebody who is in charge and tell them what they can do differently, what they are not doing right, what is their blind spot. That's why the coaches are paid the big box, because otherwise you can go and talk to somebody for a different amount of money with a different outcome. That is the art. That is the courage. But at the same time, there is another element in there which is the element of building a setup and building a space 
that you were able to say that without bringing those kind of things. Because these high achievers, they have all one thing in common, which is they always think they haven't done enough. Always. Regardless of how much they work, how many hours they work, there is always that feeling of, did I do enough? So you yeah. don't want to you don't want to put them into that mindless mindset or that trap. You have to kind of build that balance in them based on their personality, which is tricky. Yeah, I you know my biggest problem as a leader has always been uh, giving uh, constructive feedback. That's mm-hmm. always been my biggest issue, and it's the thing I stress over the most. So. Um, well, listen, it was good, a great conversation. You know, leadership is is always an interesting conversation. There's there's um, there's no, it's often not an end game, right? There's no, no, it's, it's like you always have to be improving in it. <laughs> you know, you never know when you're, you know. Uh, but I would say on my own, and uh, uh, just on my own personal level, that I became a a better leader and a better uh, manager, and my employees said that too. Oh, you know, even my friends said that too. I'd say, wow, you, you know, you've, you've really changed, That's you know, cool. and that, that was a nice compliment that people, you know, when people said something like that, Absolutely. You know? and I, and I honestly too, you, I mean, like you were saying, like, like six successful people often beat themselves up. Um, you know, how could I do more? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's no fun being a crappy leader. It's no fun being a bad manager. It's yeah. it stinks. Nobody likes doing that. Yeah, you, you <laughs> and know? you make other people's lives a hell. Yeah, you know. You. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm a very empathetic person, and boy, I hated it. I'd be like, oh, what did I say now? <laughs> you know. And so I would go home with my wife, talk to my wife about it, and you know, she would kind of try try talking me off the the ledge, and uh, and but. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, listen, you got to give yourself, you got to work on it. That's all. And you got to mm-hmm. keep trying to improve. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Great conversation. I'd like to thank so very much, uh, Kathy Hadizada. Hadizada. Yeah. I didn't do too bad, right? Hadizada, right? Very good. <laughs> from, yeah. Well, I'm working on it. I got a couple podcasts ago, I got yelled at from somebody for mispronouncing their last name. And I said, well, they're right. I'm going to try better. Um, and uh, Kathy is from Heart Mind Tuning for coming on. I'd like to thank her for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe in your favorite podcasting apps. We've had so many great guests. You know, we've had over 300 episodes. And, you know, these, this is like, you know, it's, it's the nonprofit MBA. This is like going to school, you know, with these guests that we have. And if you like today's podcast, please also give us a five-star review and um, or any of the podcasts that we had. It really helps us get the word out. The Nonprofit NBA Podcast is in the top 1% of podcasts for listening to in the nonprofit space and so proud of that. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Dot com. Kathy, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. I would suggest that they connect with me on LinkedIn. Of course, there's my website, but LinkedIn, I would love to hear from them on LinkedIn. Yep. And your last name is pronounced, I'm sorry, is spelled H-A-D-I-Z-A-D-E-H. And it's Kathy with a K. 
So uh, what's your LinkedIn uh, um, sign? Um, is www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Kathy Hadizadeh. Great, great. All right. And my website right. is heartmindtuning.com. Right. Heartmindtuning is your website as well. Kathy, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And for all our listeners out there, I want to thank you for um, not so much for listening. Thank you for doing that. But thank you for trying to make the world a better place. You know, as the re- as the recording of this podcast, we have um, Israel now, um, you know, invading uh, Hamas. Uh, I'm sorry, invading uh, Palestine. You know, it's just, you know, I think so many people I know are so upset about, you know, the, the terrible things that are going on right now. And then we have the Ukraine conflict and it's just, you guys, our listeners, you're out there every day trying to make the world a better place. And boy, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And I just want to remind you that doing your job is a marathon and not a sprint. And you need to take really good care of yourself. You're no good to your employees. You're no good to your cause. You're no good to your family or friends. You're no good to yourself if you don't take good care of yourself. And I think we all know what that means. You know, think about yourself first. Make sure you get your exercise, your sleep, you eat right. Do all the things that you need to do to be the best that you uh, can be to help the world be a better place. I know both Kathy and I are trying to do our fair share, uh, but you guys are out there every day and I thank you for that. Other than that, thank you for listening to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. And please tell some friends about the great guests that we have like Kathy. And uh, have a great day. We'll see you later.